is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are beautiful. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. In today's interview, I sit down with Kelly Sturett of MobilityWide. Kelly's one of the top CrossFit coaches in the world. And as another CrossFit gym owner said recently in a conversation we had in the hot tub, he is a mobility and biomechanics god. Kelly's clients include Olympic gold medalists, Tour de France cyclists, world and national record holders in Olympic lifting and powerlifting, CrossFit Games medalists, ballet dancers, and elite military personnel. One of the coolest things about Kelly is that he's in the trenches every day testing, refining, tweaking, and optimizing his approaches to get you the best results. So if you're someone that's dealing with any type of pains, aches, tightness, stiffness, or you just want to make sure that you're doing things necessary to improve your biomechanics, your posture, activating the transverse abdominis, breaking up fascia and knots within the body that can interfere with optimal muscle recruitment and strength, then you're going to want to listen to today's interview. Kelly's competed on a world-class level at, in kayaking and rowing, and he shares how by implementing some of these strategies in his systems, he's now performing better in his 40s than he did in his 20s. If you've ever been sidelined by an injury and had to stop training for anywhere from six to eight weeks plus, you know how frustrating that can be. And behind those injuries, there's almost always some degree of compromised mobility, flexibility, or biomechanics. And in today's interview, Kelly and I talk about ways that you can diagnose those potential problems and even more importantly, how to fix them. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Kelly Sturette. Hey everyone, I know you'll enjoy the interview. If you'd like to learn more of my top biohacking secrets, get a free copy of my best-selling book called The Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus for free at biohackersguide.com. It's over 500 pages of my top biohacks and I'll send it to you for free if you cover a small shipping cost. Get your free copy at biohackersguide.com. What's up, Shivani? Hey, what's going on, Kelly? How are you? I'm well. I'm a little bit backlit there. Let's see if I can change, change spots. There we go. Great, man. How are you? Thanks for uh, making time for me. I'm awesome. No, thank you. I appreciate you being flexible. I, uh, I, I jacked my eyes up pretty good last week and, and was out of commission for a few days. <laughs> no, this happens. I'm glad you're okay. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, you, can't, you, can't, you can't put poop right in your eyes, dude. I know, man. You know, I wasn't far off. I, uh, I ended up putting a, a medication that it, it turns out we have a familial allergic reaction to in my uh. eyes. I found out after the fact, and then uh, the only thing, the only way I could get relief was load them up with Neosporin, which I guess is uh, not the best of the best of choices. <laughs> so um, Dude, I'm, I'm glad you're feeling better. That is, uh, you know, it's burly. It's totally burly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I appreciate you taking the time. I'm really excited to chat today. Um, Are we doing video or just audio? It's just audio. So the video is more so just for us. Uh, okay. The final is going to be audio only. Okay. All right, very nice, man. Um, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to slay if you are. <laughs> I, I like that answer. I was laughing. I was laughing. Um, okay, to go. Cool. I, I got to be off at uh, like eight fifty-two. We just have a uh, Chicago Tribune conversation, and then uh, I'm driving up to go speak at this high school that I always speak to. So, oh, roll. Very, very cool, B- man. Busy Friday. What? Um, eight fifty-two. Your time. What what is that's like, that? well, that's like like an hour. We have like fifteen minutes. Oh, all right, awesome. Yeah, we'll be we'll be quicker than that. I want to be respectful of your time too. No worries. Um, all right, so take take me back pre two thousand five, before San Francisco CrossFit, before uh, becoming a supple leopard and ready to run. What was what was your life like? Well, you know, the it's exactly the same. <laughs> Literally exactly the same. Uh, you know, I, I um, paddled whitewater slalom and was an extreme whitewater athlete. So we ran class five races. You know, we, my friends and I made videos. We, we hooked ourselves off waterfalls. I mean, our life was about taking risk in kayaks, traveling to go boat, and then paddling slalom was sort of the formal expression of all that. You know, so if you see on the, in the Olympics, the whitewater courses. And um, I was living in Durango. I was a kayak rep 
So, you know, after the national team, you basically have no skills as a 20 person, 20 year old person. And, uh, except for talking about kayaks and I've been teaching my whole life and was still a kayak instructor. And, uh, my territory was Montana through Texas. And so I would just, you know, drive with my dog in my truck and, uh, and spend a lot of time talking about paddle technique, doing paddling clinics. And in 99, my friends and I won the national championship for whitewater paddling. And that was sponsored by Camel Cigarettes, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, Camel was big into this extreme uh, outdoor scene. And um, we ended up going to Chile for an all-expensive paid trip for, for, as Team USA men to Chile, where I met my wife, Juliet. And Juliet was on the women's team. And they were based out of California. We were based out of Colorado. And uh, the short story is that I moved to San Francisco in 2000, right after I met her, and was still a rep and uh, was out kayak surfing. I was actually surfing out at Ocean Beach, kind of wondering what I wanted to do because I realized that you know, traveling and talking about kayaks was not you know, the thing that was making me kind of feel complete as a human being. And lo and behold, I had a moment of Satori and realized I needed to go to physical therapy school. And the problem was that my degree was in water resource management, was not in, you know, you know, uh, pre-med, pre-physical therapy, anything. So I had to go back to school and chug away at another 30 to 40 units of, uh, of, of coursework in order to qualify for the physical therapy program. And then at the same time, you have to, uh, you know, you have to jump through all these hoops about uh, getting all these observation hours. And so I worked in a, a really uh, awful physical therapy clinic as an aide and saw the way the rest of the world worked. And, um, you know, and, and chronic pain and people on disability and just it was a real eye opener about the kinds of things I wanted to do. And then lo and behold, um, my fir- you know, I, my first year of physio school, I discovered uh, CrossFit and uh, the, you know, the, the overlap happened that there were, you know, my experience through trying to understand this rehab medicine side and trying to reconcile that with my understanding as an athlete of how we trained, how we handled injury and the really the major dissociation between those two things. Because if, you, if you're an athlete and you've been part of an athletic tradition your whole life, the second you get injured, it's like speaking a foreign language. You go down a rabbit hole, um, suddenly all the movements you're doing don't seem like they're the movements that you've used to get to the national team, to, to go to the world championships. It's a completely disparate you know, experience. And, um, you know, it's like you, you pull yourself out of this world and then you, you wait till your tissues stop hurting and then maybe you're good enough to go back, right? And I think everyone can experience this. And it's the same phenomenon I talk to, you know, the frustrations of a lot of the, the professional athletes we work with. And even in the professional sports, when some of the best physios on the planet that I, I know in a lot of these professional sports, um, you know, there's a real strong experience that athletes have where they've you know, been injured and they get sucked out of the program and they go into some kind of rehab nightmare and they become less fit, they become weaker, right? And they, they kind of become segregated and so they don't actually don't tr- end up trusting the rehab process and they end up hiding a lot of their injuries and hiding a lot of their chronic pain. They don't, they don't bring – and so what we, one of the things we've done, for example, with a lot of the pro teams that we work with is we have their physios you know, and their soft tissue work you know, things that don't have to be done in a certain area, we try to get them to bring their tables out into the weight room, into the training facility, so that people see that when you're having a mechanical problem or a pain problem, those things can be conjoined. I can continue to train, and I don't end up derailing my entire experience. And when I was paddling on the national team my last year, you know, I had a terrible overuse injury around my nervous system, you know, and I had a really terrible hot nerve root and made my hand go numb and my neck, I couldn't turn my neck. And, uh, you know, I, I went down that rabbit hole of, you know, prednisone, cortisone, you know, needles, shoots, uh, anything I could do to just continue to paddle. And what it was, what I was doing and what I really saw was this, this major disruption was all the things that I needed to do to get to get to the national team tryouts and the Olympic tryouts looked very different than, you know, what I was doing in the rehab. And there was no talking between the two communities. Um, you know, it was like, hey, well, don't paddle. You know, hey, try this stretch, but I don't, I don't really know. No one, you know, and I had, you know, what I realized, and I use this, uh, this is a Greg Glassman term, but what I realized was that, I, you know, now in retrospect, I, I was moving terribly. I had major tissue restrictions. My breathing was off, and I needed swim lessons. 
And what I was looking for was a lifeguard, you know, make this pain go away so that I can go back and do exactly the thing that I was doing before, you know, and we were paddling multiple times a day, plus weight training, plus conditioning, you know, we, I just paddled myself into a, a little hole. And that was really that formed the basis of my experience of saying, hey, look, if we're going to get serious about solving the problems of the human condition, we have to get better as coaches and athletes and trainers at moving people towards the injury line so that people could speak to incomplete mechanics. They could speak to, hey, you had deadlifting and you had pain or running in pain or something. We have to be able to solve that before it becomes full-blown injury. Because what I'll tell you was that part of the language of, of being a professional athlete is, did you go faster? Did you lift more weight? I mean, that was, you know, that's, that's the thing that we, we move the clock on. And I had symptoms for months and months and months and months and months. But I was like, well, this is normal. And everyone I talked to said it was normal. And, you know, and so it wasn't until my body just finally threw up its hands and was like, no way, I'm going to shut you down because you, you, that's what your body's going to do eventually. It's going to shut you down. You know, and if you ignore all the symptoms of, hey, my hand was feeling stiff and, you know, and I got sometimes it would feel tingly or sometimes it just feel like it was throbbing and, you know, and my, you know, my neck was stiff. And I just I was like, well, I'm just, you know, I just trained really hard. So obviously, that, I mean, those things are, are the normal case. So, you know, I think that's where the revolution is going to happen in this, this for-profit sports medicine world, which profits directly off of injured athletes, right? And let's be clear, and I'm not saying that these, you know, all of my sports medicine brothers and sisters are doing the good job, but we have to do a better job of preventing all the problems. Otherwise, we have this, fu- this fundamental conflict of interest going on, which is, no, 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 you can't take a crack at fixing yourself, or you don't know how, or you're, we're condescending, or, you know, and we'll wait until you break, and then we'll fix you. I mean, that is, that's just, that's ain't no way to live. So that is how we've gotten here today. <laughs> Great story. How did you, how did you make the psychological shift yourself from just, just wanting to get back in the boat and row, despite all of these physical symptoms that, that something was going on, to saying, all right, I need to, I need to work towards optimizing myself here. I need to address this issue because so many people, I think, have that same problem where they just want, they want the quick fix. They want to do the least amount necessary. And optimization is not even on the radar. What shifted in your mindset to help you um, to help you make those changes? Well, that's a great question. You know, the one of the, the the fundamental pieces here is that when you're injured or something's not going right, and someone says someone came to you and said, "Here, you have to do, redo everything." You know, you're like, "Oh, you know, it's 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 difficult, and it's even more difficult to begin to think." about optimization or, or injury prevention or, you know, or putting yourself into better shapes if you're winning. You know, I mean, I, I'm a national champion. Like, I am really good. And, you know, you're not beating me. I end up beating myself with my own injury. And so the, I think one of the problems is that we've always sold, one is that we've always sold, you know, do this or you will X. You know, do this or, you know, like, for example, on the national women's team, Every woman who was on the national swimming team had had shoulder surgery, every single one. You know, and you have to ask, like, well, it's a weird correlation between being a national level paddler and having shoulder surgery. So is that a guaranteed? So if my daughters want to grow up and be paddlers, I'd be like, well, we should just have shoulder surgery now, right? Because it's going to end up. You know, or we have to ask ourselves, you know, are we doing something wrong? And what we need to do is, and what we have shifted our heads around is that if we optimize your force production, by improving your mechanics and mechanical stability under load and tension and right and speed and all those things, then what we get is better force production and better outcomes, which is the thing that we should be caring about anyway. It's not position, it's expression of position, right? It's not tissue health, it's expression of tissues into position as expressed as emotion, right? So ultimately, when I improve the efficiency of the system and the mechanics of the system, what I get is better outcomes. And then that ends up being a self-fulfilling loop. Boy, you know, I could, I could do more work this week. I recovered more quickly. I was able to deadlift and run and bike and swim and kick ass still, right? And nothing hurt and I felt great and I went faster. And all I did was take care of these things as a part of it. So I developed a, a, a link. You know, I can join, you know, I start to consile 
the, the, the aspects of improving mechanics with not something to be dreaded or something to be done in case of emergency, you know, waiting till I break, but it's part of going faster. And then the second thing is when we all come from somewhere and we're all trained somehow or taught. And so we're, you know, Greg, I'll use another Greg Glassman quote. He says, hey, we fail at the margins of our experience. And he was talking about, you know, that if you, you know, you, you don't train and, you, you know, you don't go long once in a while, you don't go short and heavy, you're gonna, those are the places where you're going to train. Well, I'd say, you know, those are the places you're going to fail. What I would also say is, you know, we all fail at our experience. And what we now have is this greater embodied experience as a, as a physical culture, as, a, as a, an athletic commune, as a cabal. And what that means is now my kids know what to eat. We didn't know what to eat. I mean, 10 years ago, you know, someone's like, hey, maybe you should not eat as much carbohydrate and take a look and see if you're allergic to the foods you're eating. And you're like, whoa, this is revolutionary. And now, you know, there's seven paleo magazines, you know, so, you know, and you can you know, get gluten-free vodka. And so, um, I mean, I think people forget that 12 years ago, you couldn't buy Olympic lifting shoes anywhere. Unless you had to get them on, like, maybe you could find, you buy, like, I bought my first pair of Olympic lifting shoes out of the back of some guy's car. I mean, that felt sketchy and weird. So the <laughs> idea here is, you know, things have changed dramatically, and what we want to do now is, is realize that the things we do every day are the force generators, are the tissue health generators, and they're not one more thing I have to do. It's part of the you know, athletic environment. And if you had taken the sophistication I had now and dropped it into some 18-year-old kid, you know, I mean, my daughters, you know, we've already been up. We had a good breakfast, you know, and my, my, my kids have already been in the ice tank today. You know what I mean? Like the hot tub, the ice tanks, you know, we've, you know I mean? Like they're walking to school. There's just, there's just a whole bunch of stuff that isn't stuff that you have to, one more thing you have to do or, or a hack or a, or a short fix or take this turmeric. It's not a thing. It's just like we make our own kombucha. Like kids have kombucha with breakfast. It's just a thing. Why? Because you got to take care of your gut. And I think that's the magic of this is that now we're seeing it, hey, we were making big mistakes as humans and what we were trying to do was go ride hard and we were putting ourselves away wet. And now we're, one, doing the right things every day because that's what humans do. And two, we're realizing that if we want to go faster, then, then this is the way to focus on it. Not injury prevention, not, not fear-mongering, all that stuff. How would you contrast your training back when you were um, a national champion versus the way that you train today? Well, oh, man. First of all, you know, I thought we were, we thought we were so fit and badass. And let me just say that the first time, you know, I was exposed, I mean, I rode my bike, I was Olympic lifting, I was trying to overhead squat, you know, I, I mean, I was like, I was really trying to do all the right things. And the first time I did a CrossFit workout, and I'm just going to say, you know, I know CrossFit can be a loaded topic, but just, I did some body weight conditioning on an off day, an easy day, and it crushed me. And I was like... Do you remember what workout you did? Yeah. The first three workouts I ever did was... Uh, I did Cindy for the first time, which was five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, and 15 bodyweight squats. You know, and just, just see if you can do that for 20 minutes. You know, and I got like 12 rounds and was buried. Dead hang pull-ups. And I just realized, I was like, oh man, I, I'm, not, I'm not very fit. And then the second work I did was Fran. You know, because it was easy to do in the squat rack. I did front squats and presses. You know, and I was already front squatting a little bit. I'm like 95 pounds. Like, psh, big, big deal. And what I realized, um, you know, through those early exposures was that I wasn't nearly as fit as I thought I was. And, you know, 12 years now, I mean, when I went to my first level one, you know, course, we did this classic workout, which is very difficult back, you know, 10 years ago called Fight Gone Bad, 11 years ago, and 12 years ago, actually. And, um, you know, no one had a score over 300. You know, you know, I mean, no one did. And right now, 300 is like our junior varsity girls rowing score. I mean, like, you can't be on the JV team unless you have 300. And, you know, I mean, like, it's, it's really remarkable how high-intensity training has worked its way into the vernacular. I mean, I think people have been going to, you know, spin classes and dying forever. But suddenly there's Orange Cycle, Orange Theory, and, and you know, and, 
you know, and if you if you are lucky enough to find Hafan Pavel, you know, early on, I mean, you literally were swinging kettlebells and dying, and and I think that ship has sailed. So everyone's working much harder now than they were, and I would say I'm an or two orders of magnitude fitter. What I can also tell you is that none of us were very strong, and none of us were very skilled. We might have been able to work very hard, but we didn't have competencies around, you know, some of the basic barbell progressions. None of us could really easily deadlift 400 pounds, which is, I mean, like everyone, if you're a man, you can deadlift 400 pounds, like straight up. That's just how it works. You know, if you're a woman, you can deadlift 275. You're going to have to work there, but I guarantee you can do that. 500 pounds, it's a different conversation, right? But 400 is, is one of those, like, you can just do that as a human pretty easily. You know, when none of us were front squatting very well, you know, um, we couldn't do handstands. We weren't doing handstands. We weren't doing hollow rocks. We weren't spending time on the rings. We, you know, and then... Um, you know, we weren't competent on the rowing machine. We, I, I was a terrible runner. Anytime I had, you know, when I ran 400 meters, I had knee pain, right? And it turns out I was a terrible until Brian McKenzie taught me how to run. And what's nice now is that we saw that we all got a little bit stronger and we all got a lot more skilled in our movement. And then we were able to come back and bring in the aerobic training on top of it. And what you're seeing, once again, is the thing that no one has – Everyone's been talking about forever. Is what's your training age? How long have you been training? How long have you been training well? And there's no substitution for being exposed to a heavy squat once a week. You know, there's no substitution for you know having to be an efficient runner and doing repeats. There's no substitution for you know sort of tweaking the variables of of physical interest and developing a schema that allows for continual skill improvement indefinitely. And, um, you know, now, you know, I, I'm doing, I'm paddling a ton again, which has been so great. You know, I, I, last year, I, for example, I paddled the Molokai solo, I paddled from Molokai to Oahu. Um, it's a, it took me, you know, it's a, it's a 50 kilometer open ocean race. And what's great is I'm able to do that race now with all of the base GPP, general physical preparedness training I've been doing. I definitely still have to paddle. There's a mistake that people think if you're just super fit, you don't have to do your sport. That's a lie. You have to go do your sport. But what was great was I came out of it totally uninjured. You know, I had a great time. I was able to still be a dad and didn't have to like quit my job to go train. Um, You know, nothing got hurt. I had a great time. And, you know, my fitness is there to support when I get a wild hair at my ass. And that's what I want people to understand is that we should be creating this ready state and then testing our fitness. And so coming back to as a paddler with improved mechanics, improved strength, better aerobic function, better breathing patterns, better nutrition, better sleep, better adaptation, better. Oh my gosh. Like I, I, it's a, you know, my, my 42 year old self would whoop up on the 22 year old self that I know. I mean, I'd just be like, you're a piece of crap kid. That's, you know? that, was, that was what I was going to ask you. And I, obviously, you have much less sports-specific training right now because you're so busy. But I was curious how those other things have affected your performance 20 years later. It's amazing. Uh, you know, a couple years ago, you know, I was still in the heat, heat of training. Um, but I, I showed up at a friend's birthday party. And it was, uh, it was the birthday, but it also happened to be one of the biggest whitewater festivals in the nation. And uh, it's in Salida, and it's called Fibark, first in, in boating on the Arkansas River. And it's a really, really old… Fib, uh, Fibark? Fibark. <laughs> and um, my, my C2 partner, so I paddle whitewater slalom canoe, the tandem canoe. So um, my C2 partner and I hadn't been in the boat in 10 years together. It's going on lives and having kids. And it's big water there that, that year. And uh, you know, we, we, what's interesting is that when everyone gets together and all these Olympians and all these national champions, I mean, everyone's good. Everyone is really good. And uh, everyone chooses a random boat to be in. So you don't know what, what you're going to do, but like the competition is like someone might be like, this year it's, it's C1. So everyone has to compete in C1, right? Canoe. You know, or be like, oh, this year it's in kayak and everyone has to kayak, even if that's not your discipline. And this year it was open canoe which is like the kind of canoe you take on a lake, right? Yeah. That was what we raced on this big whitewater river, huge, you know? So you had to get a partner, you had to go, and like, it doesn't matter, like find out how good you are, right? Like literally, go see if you're, if you're an athlete. So there are my, my buddy and I, Shane, my C2 partner, you know, we ha- we're not warmed up. We literally put the canoe in, it's big whitewater. We do like one hip snap and it turns around, he's like, 
you warmed up? You know, and I was like, here we go. We haven't talked it together in the boat. You know, we haven't been together in the boat in 10 years, but we were both fitter and technically better. And we, we paddled better in that, that tubby open canoe on that random river race than we ever we did on the national slalom team. <laughs> Just why? Because we had matured. We were, we were more skilled. My fitness was through the roof. I was brutally strong. And I was like, oh, man, isn't that great at age, you know, 40? I'm, I'm better than I was when I paddled 11 times a week and had national team coaching. I mean, it's just that's the kind of thing that if, if we can take those principles and start spinning them back and, and, and apply it to another generation, we're going to have performance like we are now in skiing and, and, and boating and gymnastics. We're going to see the progression of the physicality of human beings go through the roof. It's unbelievable. We're just beginning to scratch what we can do physically. I wanted to ask you how your definition of what's possible for not just longevity, but health span as well, has redefined in seeing this in, in yourself and your improving performance over the past two decades. I was having a conversation with Ori Hofmeckler, and he truly believes that humans will be living close to 200 years um, within decades as we continue to refine our knowledge about nutrition and what we should be eating and how our diet should evolve as we age. That The same thing that Kelly Sturett was eating when he was 22 and competing and still growing is not the same thing that he should be eating when he's 42 or 52 and um, is trying to avoid some of the, you know, chronic degenerative conditions of today. How have you, what, what is your vision for your life? You know, where do you see, uh, what is possible for the human, uh, the human race in terms of health, uh, cognition, mobility, physicality? That's such a good question because, um, when we're looking at, uh, people moving, thinking, you know, we're, we're seeing a constant refinement of, of experience and practice. And that's largely a result of the internet today. And the fact, it's not that we haven't been taking, you know, go into the Ayurvedic traditions, go into the old Chinese traditions. I think people have thought critically about these problems for a long time. And now we've in Western medicine, we, we're doing a better job of whipping up on the big diseases that were knocking us down in spite of some of those things. So we're seeing the confluence of a lot of information where suddenly, you know, you've got Ori talking about longevity and nutrition piece. And, and now we're, we're seeing the, you know, the, the confluence of all these movement traditions that, you know, people have thought seriously about how to move well for a long time. And, and sometimes it gets expressed as Ido Portal or it gets expressed as, you know, some of the parkour guys. And, um, but, you know, principles remain principles. You know, we, the shoulder hasn't changed in 10,000 years, but how we, we think about the expression of that on the day to day, um, has changed, and I, I think what's um, what's exciting right now is we're getting smarter at realizing the adaptation errors. Like you know, calories are cheap. You know, we're not we're all starving. You know, you know, rickets. Yeah, it's not so much rickets anymore. You know what I mean? You know, you know, uh, you know. When's the last time you met someone scurvy? It's been a while, and so we've kind of figured some of those things out, and and you know, we've gotten better at it. So what's interesting is. You know, inherent. I really do believe we're gonna we're all be a hundred, no problem. Just because, I mean, you, the med, the medicine and how we're how we're living, and even just how we're thinking about really evaluating stress, how we manage breathing practices, those kinds of things, which have turned out to me, and as I've gotten older, to be really, really important and hugely beneficial, and and glaring holes in my program. Not that every yogi on the planet hasn't been breathing or developed a breathing practice, but you know, some of those things. You know, have been wrapped in the in the blanket of fringe or the blanket of non-performance, and suddenly we're we're able to you know consummate the circle and idea of I better ha- be able to downregulate. I better you know it's not all about drinking the the pre-wad and caffeining up and smashing myself. It's also about how am I going to come down? What's the quality of my sleep? How do I manage all those things? But the question is. We either need to be very comfortable when it comes to, because my, you know, my experience is I spend a lot of time talking with athletes and groups about how to manage a 24-hour cycle, right? So where do I put in the ice bath? Where do I put in the breathing practice? When do I mobilize my joints? How do I think about position? 
But you know, my, my real, you know, where I spend most of my time is really noodling on nuance of, of, of position and mechanics, the limitations of you know, how we're moving and trying to make the invisible visible. And what I can tell you is that if we're, if we're continuing on the way we are, we're not going to have spines that last this long because what we've still, we still make the fundamental human mistake of valuing raw output without a conversation about quality. Right? And that's because we get what, what, what we measure. And so if we value or end up valuing you know, rounds or time to completion, I mean, we use this example all the time. And people, this is a common example. What I mean is, you know, hey, you ran a marathon? Did I ask you what your technique was? Did I ask you, you know, how about your, about your skill? You know, what do I ask you? Did you go faster? What was your time? You know, those are the only metrics in which we can evaluate. Oh, you, you heel strike the whole time and you were on massive amounts of ibuprofen. You had to jog with your ART practitioner the whole time. You haven't been able to run in three months after that, but you PR, great job. You know, and I think what we're, what we're realizing now is, you know, it's, it's, we've gotten to a place or a delta where we're needing to put the skill back into effort. Now we're all working hard. Great. Fantastic. Now let's make sure that we can understand what's going on underneath that. And if we don't, you know, then let's just all accept that we're all going to get our hip replaced or we're all going to have to rotate cuff surgery. You know, be- because if you don't, you know, one of the, the unique features of our work is that we straddle human performance and we straddle injury, and, you know, and, and sports medicine. And, you know, that means I see a lot of cause and effect, and I see a lot of effect back to cause. I can, I can reconcile those two pieces. And so it looks like I'm looking around the corner, but I'm not. I actually can stand around the circle in all places, and that means I, can, I understand where I'm coming from, where I'm going. And I can start to see all the adaptations, which is that's the, the, the heart of the scientific method is called induction, where you see a lot of patterns and you draw inference from it. That's, that's Sir Francis Bacon you know, 101. So the bottom line here is, you know, we are getting more skills, and that's the long game. And what we always have to be con- consistent with is reminding ourselves that we can either, you know, just accept that we have some basis of self-organizing criticality that ultimately will express itself as a movement problem. My tissues break down, or I get older or stiffer, or my testosterone d- d- drops because I'm, you know, 45 and. I don't make any growth hormone because I've been, you know, stressed and I had three concussions and I eat like crap and all of a sudden my tissues can't tolerate that anymore. I've gotten so strong in a bad position and then all of a sudden move fast in a game and cook my, cook my Achilles. You know, I mean, you know, these tissues are designed to last a hundred years. I mean, I, I think, I don't remember who said it, but someone was, you know, said famously, look, your body will last. You'll probably outlive your gonads, but you're gonna, you know, your your body's designed to go this long. Let's let's not confuse this genetic bounty and inheritance for the fact that we can refine our understanding of the human condition, and that means that we just have to connect the dots and zip up. Like, you know, when you see, you know, people slouching in the chair, you can't tell me that that's not. That's not a, an error. That's not an aberration of human function. And uh, to, to, to not, to always try to connect something to pain and to not work on function and output is the fundamental primary mistake because, you know, pain is, it, pain is your companion when you, you know, are messing up so bad you can't hear any other noise. Then your brain's going to punch through with the pain. I love that phrase, put the skill back in effort, because I think there's been this explosion over the past half a decade or so with, with CrossFit, with Shred 451, with Insanity and these extreme workout programs where you have people are, that are going from zero to 60 without the proper biomechanics. And I know um, a number of people who own physical rehabilitation facilities, and they're actually intentionally buying spaces in the same big boxes as CrossFits and Shred 451s because it's just feeding them business. How do you do things different at San Francisco CrossFit where you can take someone and, and maybe you don't immediately throw them into these complex movement patterns, uh, but what do you take someone through so that they are prepared for CrossFit workouts or intense exercise and they're not hurting themselves and they're not just creating business for physical therapists? Um, well, how do you let, do things me, different? Let, yeah, let me, let me back off and say that first, you know, if – 
take the word CrossFit and say front squatting and running, you know, say pull-ups and push-ups and rowing. You know, I mean, you know, tenets of Olympic lifting and powerlifting. I mean, you know, what I'll say is that if we just use running as an example, you know, 80% of Americans are injured in a year running. Runners. I mean, 80% of runners are injured in a year. Yeah. The, the injury rates in running are insane. And fundamentally, as human beings, you're designed and evolved to run. That's why you have an Achilles tendon. I mean, literally, the, you, are, you are a running animal. And all you have to do is read, you know, Born to Run or look at, you know, Dr. Daniel Levinson's book, um, you know, The History of the Human Body from, from Stanford, or not Stanford, Harvard, and all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, there's this evolutionary, you know, biological, you know, m- you know, machine that came out of a certain, you know, parameters of function. And what is it about us that, you know, we want to work hard because it's easy to, to measure heart rate, it's easier to be like, I was a 10 on the perceived exertion scale, scale, right? The thing that I always point out is, look, if you can't, if you're just waiting around for people to have shoulder pain and shoulder impingement, you know, but you're not getting ahead of the conditions that cause that, I mean, that's, that's madness. That's, that's a failure of logic. And the fact that you can't see that, one is that, you know, when people come into a new exercise program, they love to smash themselves and how many of them actually how many of them actually have the range of motion to handle that very few how many of them actually have the 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 movement skills to be able to handle that right they have never done a hip hinge in their life and they're 30 years old you know and i'm like well what have you been doing you know and remember people are it's not their fault people are products of a system and once once they have a an understanding of what they need to be to do and they choose not to do it, then it's their fault. But in the meantime, you know, we have to give people the lessons and the rules first before we ding them on failure to play the game correctly. And, you know, it's, it is good business because I mean, sports medicine is a gigantic industry and, you know, there have been physical therapists and sports medicine clinics long before shred, long before orange theory, long before CrossFit, you know, and, and uh, long before Pavel starts swinging kettlebells. But, you know, in our zealousness, you know, and when you talk to f- about fitness goals for most people, what are they really talking about? They were talking about body composition goals, right? And the magic key has been just work harder, you know? You know, just oh, if you if you want the American dream, you just need to work 60 hours a week, you know? If you want the, if you want the body, you just have to do you know, insanity in your living room, you know, and you're just not working hard enough. And when, that's not true at all, right? There, there are these roadblocks to, you know, these, these, these limiters to function, sleep, nutrition, stress, movement quality, exercise programming. And, you know, I, the things that we do at our gym that look a lot like it, what everyone does now, you know, is that, you know, we understand how to on-ramp people. We understand that we have to teach fundamental skills and then challenge those skills with load, with cardiorespiratory demand, with speed, right, with motor control demands, you know. And there's a lot of ways to challenge robustness of position. But if you go into the sports medicine world right now, people can't even, they can't even tell you that there are fundamental shapes and positions. And it's because they don't live in the, in the world of, of sports performance, you know. And um, if you look at strong first, if you look at CrossFit, if you look at you know yoga, if you look at you know powerlifting, you're going to see that there are shapes that get expressed all the time that are fundamental root shapes of, of how humans move in the world. And what we're what we're saying is you know we, we we as long as we remain agnostic about the things, the fundamental skills that every human should be able to do, right? Then we're always going to be making a type one error because we can't even agree on the way that, you know, we should hip hinge, not do you hip hinge and deadlift or do you hip hinge and kettlebell swing or do you hip hinge and, you know, clean a medicine ball, you know, hip hinge. I mean, the only thing we should ever be arguing about is, well, do you squat twice a week or three times a week? You know what I mean, that's, that's, that's the fastest way to get to Mecca, right? The fastest way to, to, to get to the, to the performance goal that we're all after, whatever that individual goal is. But I'll tell you, I mean, you're not excused from the positions of a human being. You're not excused from having full range of motion in your tissues. The, you know, there are a lot of physical therapists who will literally say things like, 
There's no evidence that says having normal range of motion in your, in your ankles improves running performance. And I'm like, you got to be stinking kidding me that you can't see the compensation from lack of range of motion in your ankle and how that affects your running mechanics. That's because you are not a running coach, right? And you can't even see, you know, and when you go and we, like the medicine system has sort of been co-opted into this sports thing and it's a really bad fit. You know, if you go see your doctor because you have knee pain, does she watch you run? No, she has six minutes to like check out your liver enzymes and make sure you don't have cancer and check your lymph nodes and talk to, you know, and like she's going to be like, you, know, you, you, you just brought your car into the bike shop. I mean, like there's some things we can do here, but you're using the medicine system wrong. And until we shift our thinking and our performance, until we shift our whole model back onto, um, you know, onto, um, you know, prevention i.e. performance on top of, you know, working our way towards, you know, moving well on the day-to-day training and making that part of the system, the whole, the whole thing is going to remain broken. And that's where the revolution is happening because we have so many fitness professionals and so many people kicking ass these days that we have to, uh, you know, that are teaching and now for the first time in the history of the world, I think we're going to move, move, move the needle, but we... We have shifted what I think is the functional unit wisely to, to reflect the realities that it's the trainer, it's the coach, it's the little league softball player coach, it's the soccer coach, you know, it's the youth sports director. Those are the places where we're going to make the change. And that means all the fitness professionals on the planet have to be working towards making that happen. So I'll give you an example. You know, I've been using this a lot because it's, you know, but, um, in the NFL, I talked to a lot of the head coaches there, the strength and conditioning coaches, and they're like, man, the real problem is that we inherit these kids who are just, just a junk show from college. And you're like, okay. Well, obviously, it's the college problem. And I'm like, well, as, as professional coaches, are you working with collegiate coaches? And they're like, no, we don't have time. I'm like, okay, so then shut up. <laughs> you can't solve this problem. Then you go to college, and you're like, hey. You know, those guys are saying you're doing a crappy job. And they're like, no, 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 no. You know, 90% of all the Americans that we had in our, our incoming class this year, 90%, this is a true statistic from one of the coaches I worked with, have knee pain on doing an air squat. You're like, what? Like, you, all, everyone, everyone's broken in high school? I'm like, well, what is you coaching? Are you working with the high school coaches? And they're like, no, too busy. And I'm like, okay, so I go to high school. And, and I'm, I'm going to go speak to a high school today, right? I'll have 120 kids. And I'll, and I'll ask them, how many of you guys are pain-free? You know, and they'll be like, and like three kids will raise their hand, and those are the kids in wrapped in bubble tape. And, you know, and I'll be like, you know, what's going on? And they're like, and all the coaches are like, you should see these kids. They can't move from middle school. And you're like, well, what the stinking hell is happening? And what we're seeing is that we do not teach physical cultural standards anymore. And as a result, we pass the buck until something breaks. Welcome to the game. So ultimately, everyone needs to look around and say, how can I help this next generation or in the next step below? Because those are my feeder pools, and I need to come back up. You, you've created two incredible resources in Becoming the Supple Leopard and, and Ready to Run. For someone listening that's, that's hearing this and it's making sense and resonating with them, and they're wondering, do I even have the – they want to assess themselves. They're wondering if they even have the core competence uh, in, in mobility and biomechanics. Do you outline something in your books that they can, that they can do to, uh, to see where they stand? Or is there a process that you would recommend to someone listening right now? Do this, do that. Here's, here, here are where I consider to be baseline core competence levels. All the animals love you. Um, <laughs> well, you know, we... In, in BASL number two, um, you know, we outline sort of fundamental bookmark positions. And if you get into, um, you know, even ready to run, you know, what we've done is we've been able to refine our thinking into expression of the biomechanics as a functional shape, right? So it's not, you know, it's not tissues in a vacuum. It's like, hey, how do all these tissues aggregate together so that, you know, and here's an example. Can you squat down with your feet together? Heels on the ground, yes or no? If you can't, you have incomplete hip function, incomplete ankle function. There is no arguing around that. I mean, I know you can still win a world championship and not have ankles that work, but what I'm telling you is that you're leaving power on the table, right? And you're potentially leaving yourself up to compensatory movement patterns 
that are that are bleeding force and bleeding torque and potentially opening you up to overuse injury or what I call an open position injury, like an ACL tear, right? And and the key here is, you know, we need to do a better job of understanding that this is just the body's just a wet biological lever system. It's not it's not so hyper complex that we can't you know, establish fence posts of function. And, you know, the, the conversation is this is a moving target based on did you have to wear combat boots? You know, did you, did you injure yourself, you know, catastrophically in Vietnam, you know, playing, playing high school soccer or college soccer? You know, did you just have a baby and you haven't slept in a year? Right? The idea is we have always just said training is training, and then rehab is rehab. And what we need to do is say that the training, the diagnostic stimulus is also the stimulus for adaptation. That when I'm moving today, I'm learning something about myself and I'm le- learning about the moving target. You know, because, you know, it's easy to be, to be training and all of a sudden, you, you know, you're low day, you're like, oh man, that, that overhead position was a little incomplete, Right. Or, man, my calves are stiff. I, I, I just, they haven't hurt. I haven't looked at them for a week or so, and I didn't realize how stiff they were, you know? And, and uh, man, I just flew back and forth to New York three times for business, and wow, my front of my hip was stiff, and my quads were stiff, and, you know, I, I probably should do some gut smashing. And, man, I, I haven't talked to my obliques or the musculature of my trunk in two months because my obliques never hurt, right, until I have a sports hernia. And so the idea here is, we want to connect people's daily training practice, right, the, the physical practice of being a modern human athlete with the fact that that's a diagnostic tool at the same time. And if you can't connect the dots about how you're moving and how your body works as a machine, then you're a fool. You're, you know, you're blind, and it's much easier than people think. It's really easy because if you ran today – those are some specific positions. Let's fix those positions. You know, if you bench today, the shoulder has a start position and a finish position. Let's fix one aspect of your start position or finish position on your bench press. And suddenly now, you know, daily diagnostics, daily tissue health looks like brushing your teeth every day. I mean, do we argue about whether you need to brush your teeth every day? No, I, I, I brushed last week. I, no, I have this girl. She massages me. She, oh, I mean, she brushes my teeth. Like once a month, I get a, I get a brush, toothbrush. It's fantastic. Like we need to be thinking about the rest of our tissues in the same vein as we do on some of the other things. You know, and like we try to gamify. And there's a way of thinking about the world as an infinite or finite game. And one of the infinite games that Juliet and I play all the time is, did you eat enough vegetables today? And the answer is no, never. I never eat enough vegetables and tomorrow, the game starts again. You know, and I'm like, damn it. And it's an infinite game of us obsessing about, did we eat enough vegetables today? Because we never can eat enough plant matter. You can't. You know, you just, it's really difficult. Why? Because I don't forage very much these days. And we want that same game mentality to be taking care of yourself, you know, going and hunting for problems. And what we've done is we've never given people a model for daily maintenance. And one of the things we've been doing on MobilityWad for, you know, from the beginning is we create daily programming for you to assess your positions and to assess your tissue health and just to be systematically taking yourself on a tour up and downstream. The same way, you know, from head to toe, the same way we go on a tour if we're engaged in general physical preparedness. I don't press every single day, but I'm going to press some days, right? And those are the days that I'm looking at my shoulders or my thoracic spine or my neck. And that, that's how we can suddenly get ahead of this, just as we were talking about earlier, and a little bit at a time. You know, it doesn't have to be this overwhelming thing where you know, I get to the end of the blind alley with my semi-truck and it's on fire and I've got to put the fire out and back the truck out the alley. That's what the injury experience is like. Instead, we're, we're always making better decisions and we're looking actively for, for problems and inefficiencies in our positions. What does? What are some things that you work into every week? Every week, Kelly Surrett is you know is it in the ice tub daily? Is it he's in the hot tub daily? He's squat. You've mentioned squatting a few times. Like that's a part of your weekly routine. What are the things you mentioned? Gut smashing too. What are some of the things that are almost always a part of your weekly routine as it pertains to uh, mobility, tissue work, biomechanics, strength, conditioning? You consider these to be fundamental. 
I, all, you nailed it. Actually, all those things are just part of a week's process. And, and it's not, you know, it, it's easy. I'll, I'll use a good example. He's a, he's a good friend of ours, but, um, and, he, and he's super nerd and very technical. Ben Greenfield is, man, that guy, you know, one time I, I picked up his, his suitcase and I was like, what is in here? He's like, those are my sleeping magnets. And I was like, you have magnets you put underneath your bed at night? He's like, yeah, it helps me sleep. And I'm like, all right. I am obviously very lazy that I do not have sleeping magnets. But, um, he was traveling what, with them? Yes. What, you know, and I think the problem is people don't see that, hey, he looks at sleep holistically and just says, I don't have to my sleep. And what ends up happening is that people feel like they have to memorize all these little shortcuts, right? And they don't see it as a system of thinking. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we obsess about, my wife and I, is chilling out. You know, we go, 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 go. We have two kids. We have a couple businesses. We have 27 employees. You know, like it's – at the end of the week, we are cooked. At the end of the day, we're cooked. And we work – we talk about how to chill, you know. And that means we really optimize our sleep. We're in bed before 10. Um, you know, we really, you know, crush ourselves to eat well, you know, and that's, that's an ongoing conversation. You know, we, we, we are not those people who food prep. We just can't – we just doesn't work for us. You know, we don't make 10 meals – you know, but we, you know, we cook a lot, um, you know, and then, you know, one of the things that I, I would say that, you know, is a hallmark of my function right now for sure is I feel like as I've gotten older, I have gotten strong enough and I've gotten big enough. And I know that there are a lot of people who are like, that's impossible to be strong enough. Well, at some point it's possible to be <laughs> strong enough to do, to do what you need to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. And one of the things is like, I don't want to get any bigger and, uh, and what I can tell you is that I have rediscovered because I felt like I became sufficiently strong, you know, and, um, you know, I, I think uh, even Pavel was like, hey, once you can back squat, double weight back squat, you're probably good, strong enough to do any sport in the world. You know what I mean? And, um, and I, you know, I got that covered. I can, I can double weight body weight back squat, you know. I can front squat my body weight for, you know, for 20 or 30 reps. Like, I'm good to go. And... And I think the issue is that I then use these movements. That's not that I'm ever excused from, but I use these movements to maintain my position. I use these movements to maintain my hip function. And the thing that we do that we do more than any other thing is that we have an aerobic practice. Brian McKenzie of Power Speed Endurance and XPT Life programs for us. And three or four days a week, I prioritize my aerobic function above all other things because I, it's turned out that has been – a huge, huge upregulator in my function and how I feel and my body composition and how do you do even, that? Even my strength. Well, you know, I'm, I live on the you know the assault bike. We bike, we run, we row. You know, there, we we try to keep the stimulus varied, but you know, you know, it's not a big deal to row ten kilometers now on the herb these days. It's not a big deal. It's just like that's that's part of part of the work. It's not like just sit down and go unconscious. You know, on Monday Brian tried to kill me on the assault bike. He literally, I mean, it's not like the hardest work. It took me two days to recover from this thing. You know, all I had to do was hold 335 watts for eight minutes just to see how that goes for you. And then on the ninth minute, for 90 seconds, I had to hold 420 watts. And then for the last next four and a half minutes, all I had to do was hold 250 watts and then repeat that three times. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and let, let me know how that goes for you. And what you're going to find out is, you know, like everything else, there's no shortcut. Like everything else, consistency rules the day. And being consistent in your nutrition, being consistent in your sleep, those consistencies aggregate into far more change and far more performance adaptation than any single intense cycle will ever, ever lead. You know, show, you know our friend Matt Vincent is a world champion in, in the Highland Games, and he says things like, and people are like, how do you get strong, Matt? He's like, just squat heavy once a week for 10 years, you'll work it out. And that's that sort of notion that I really think helps people realize, hey, this is, we'll take the long view. We have time to get better. You know, it's not, you know, we get into the beginner's folly, especially when you come into a new strength conditioning program or a formal strength conditioning program for the first time, like CrossFit, like Strong First. And you make such massive progress because you are so unskilled and unstrong. Literally every day is a PR. 
Woo, I snatched PR. Like, well, that'd be nice. PR every single day on every single thing forever. And then all of a sudden, you know, those things slow down. And that's when the real work begins. You know, you're up, you're up to speed now. You've just merged with traffic. And now we're going to drive across the country. You know what I mean? Because, and I think that's the problem. You know, we're, we're, we all want the magical quick game, right? Yeah. And there's no substitute for that. That's, that's such great advice, and I want to be respectful of your time. I know, I know, you've got to run. If you have sixty seconds for three rapid fire questions, uh, yeah, of course, of uh, course. All right, let's do it. So, someone has two hundred dollars to invest in in something that's going to improve their fitness, their mobility, anything. How do you recommend them investing that two hundred dollars? It could be one thing. It could be multiple things. I know you've got you've got a lot of tools at Mobility Wide, like the Gemini and some other things. Where where do they put that money? Um, you put that money into uh, voodoo floss bands. No, uh, the issue is, um, you know, how can you improve, you know, the long game? And that means with $200, you can get a couple kettlebells and a pull rack and a jump rope. And now I guarantee you we can meet all your conditioning needs for the rest of your life. Like conditioning, like we can do very, that's very simple. And we want to remove the barriers to people's actuality, like their, their self-actualization, which means... The more that we can make it easy for people to get what they need, right? You don't have to go to the gym to just do some simple conditioning in your garage and run out your front door. That's that's a revolution happening, right? When every every kettlebell, everyone in the neighborhood lays their kettlebells out, and you just keep running up the running up the block, snatching them. You know that's going to make change. You know you need to invest in a pair of earplugs and an eye mask. You know, big time, and you need to get some electrical tape so you can black out everything in your room. You know, you need to get a long cord or a, an iPhone charger for your kitchen so there can be no technology in your room, right? I would say you need to spend enough to be able to take your shoes off and go barefoot a little bit more. But what you're realizing is that you know you can roll and mobilize with a lot. You don't need fancy tools. You need a rolling pin or a beer bottle or a beer can. I mean, you can do anything. The bottom line, though, is I would take that money and put it into a little home gym so that I always, you know, all I had to do is go out of my kitchen or into my kitchen to be able to do some maintenance on myself. And that home gym, two kettlebells, a pull-up, a pull-up, like a doormat pull-up bar and a jump rope? Great. You, I remain agnostic. I mean, that sounds fantastic. The easiest thing you can do, but I, I think that that already would get you so far along, you know, if you just woke up every day and did some, you know, Turkish get-ups, I guarantee you your life is going to be better. I guarantee it. You know what I mean? And that's that's what I think people don't realize is that it's these small, consistent changes, and the fact that it's so easy to take care of some of these things. If you if you had a ten to fifteen minute breathing practice every day, you know, I would I, you could spend that two hundred dollars and go to Wim Hof. You know, and, and invest in his ten week breathing program. That would for profoundly change your life. You know, I, I, so I, I mean, th- th- those are the things that uh, I mean. It's really a lot more simple than people think. You know, you know, people are always asking me what which protein to take. I'm like, they're called eggs. They're so cheap and they're so delicious. Eggs and rice. You mean I mean how I mean you're a college you're a broke college kid. Great, you get to eat eggs, rice, and broccoli. I mean, like it's it's a lot easier than people think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, someone that's interested in whitewater rafting, they want to go somewhere that's that's good for beginners and a, an incredible experience. Where do you tell them to go? Well, if you want, if you want to go experience the river, you know, there your state already has some amazing whitewater. You know, California is one of the whitewater capitals of the universe. Idaho is Colorado, but the East Coast is a ton. You know, you know. One of the cool things about the river is that, especially when you travel in different countries, is the rivers, you know, really give you a portal into how the place hasn't changed. Like in Nepal, for example, we'd be in villages that were, you know, three, two days walk or three days walk that, from a road that was two days drive from anywhere. And those places haven't changed. And you really get to see, you know, what the, what the, what the universe really looks like untouched. And some of our most, you know, wild and scenic places on the planet are, you know, in California, you can only be accessed by rivers. Awesome. And last one, for people that are really enjoying everything that you've shared, uh, where's the best place for them to start learning more about your teachings? Is, is it one of your books? Is it Mobility Wide? Where can people stay up to date with you and, and everything that you're sharing? Well, if you are just new to the, the Mobility Wide game, then, you know, if you 
portal into MobilityWad, WOD, workout of the day, MobilityWad.com, it's a big r- raging river, and it can be a little bit overwhelming. Start with a book like Deskbound, which just came out. Start with a book like Ready to Run, and you can start to get, understand the tenets of the system. You know, like when the first time, you know, you walked into my gym, and I was like, by the way, we're going to change how you eat and how you sleep and how you warm up and how you cool down, and you don't know how to lift and how to run, or and you're going to be, you know, you're going to be in an Olympic lifting competition here soon, and and the people they run out the door like crazy, right? I mean, it's just it's too much, and so just a little bit at a time. And, uh, you know, we have about 2,000 videos on our website. You know, we do daily programming. But what we like to remind everyone is start anywhere. You know, it doesn't matter how you come in. You come in through your feet. You come in through your belly. You come in through breathing. You know, develop a practice. Um, One of the best things that people can do is start listening to a podcast and find someone that they like, like this podcast. And then you are putting people in their way that allows them to go be curious about themselves. And that's one of the fastest and easiest ways to onboard a critical amount of information. Don't be jumping around and have podcast ADD. You know, everyone is doing these podcasts around performance and health are immensely important in terms of changing how people think. You know, if, if you started listening to Joe Rogan from day one, you're, you're going to be exposed to so many amazing ideas from the start. And that's an easy way to just chunk one a week, you know, and you listen to a podcast and who is that person? You get it kind of curious and then you'll develop your own expertise around it. Yeah. I, Kelly, this has been amazing. I'm really excited about especially what you, your wife, Juliet, and you are doing with um, getting standing desks in schools across America. And uh, ending childhood obesity is a big passion of mine, too. I'm working with Ori Holfmeckler on, um, on, on creating some, some nutrition-based things for kids to help make it easier for them to eat healthy, even if their parents aren't educated. And uh, I'd love to talk more with you guys about that offline, but oh, I know you're sure. busy. Absolutely. And, we appreciate uh, that. And it's, you know... The last thing I'll say is that, you know, some recent research has just come out in the last week that says that we have not moved the needle on childhood obesity in America at all, in spite of all the money we've thrown out, in spite of Michelle Obama's, you know, uh, incredible efforts. And maybe that slowed it down, but we're going to have to take a serious look at what the environmental loads are and have a systemic approach to it. We're going to have to talk about nutrition. We're going to have to talk about exercise. We're also going to have to talk about the, the things that we're doing when we're not doing those things. And that's why, you know, our daughters are at the first all-standing school in the world, you know, if you're interested in what we're talking about, take a look at uh, my wife's amazing website, StandUpKids.org, and uh, you can see that this is a real revolution happening. Yeah, I um, I'm very excited about it, and we want to help you and Juliet spread the message and um, and and get this across America and transform childhood obesity and hopefully put an end to it for everyone that would like to uh, <laughs> to no longer be be victim there. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you, brother. I appreciate your time. I know you got to run. You've been awesome. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by the Wim Hof Method. I've interviewed many health experts over the years and so many of these people who are at the top of their game, world-class in their respective fields, were utilizing this technology that I just had to check it out. And I was absolutely blown away. The Wim Hof Method utilizes a combination of breath work, cold thermogenesis, inversions, exercise, exercise without oxygen, and a number of other ancient techniques to increase neurotransmitter production, improve oxygen utilization, increase circulation, and a whole host of other health benefits. I've used it with many of my clients, and the results have been phenomenal. I have clients that are addicted to it. They say it's better than anything they've tried, whether that's legal, illegal, natural, prescription, um, and it's it's just unmatched in its ability to produce powerful results. So I incorporate strategies from the Wim Hof Method into my weekly routine without fail, and it has been a game changer for me. And in terms of ROI, there are few biohacks that produce such powerful results with such a minimal investment. You can learn more about the Wim Hof Method and their 10-week video course at biohackingsecrets.com forward slash Wim Hof. That's W-I-M-H-O-F. So to learn more, just go to biohackingsecrets.com forward slash Wim Hof.
Today's episode is brought to you by the New Calm. The New Calm is a clinical system designed to help your mind and body relax naturally within minutes. Designed by neuroscientist Dr. Blake Holloway as a way to treat patients with post-traumatic stress disorder, New Calm works by using biochemistry, physics, and neurophysiology to rapidly and reliably relax brain and body functions. So there are no side effects and there is no recuperative time or supervision needed. The entire system is based around four key components that work in synergy to bring you into a deep state of calm. It only takes a few minutes to administer these steps and you'll begin to feel relaxed almost immediately. Step one involves topical cream or chews that are neuromodulators and help to increase levels of relaxing, calming neurotransmitters in the body. Step number two are microcurrent stimulation patches, which are placed behind the ear and have been shown to help facilitate the relaxation response and increase uptake of the cream and supplements by the frontal cortex. Step three are headphones. These are noise softening headphones playing relaxing music that can help bring your brain wave pace to pre-sleep stages. It utilizes frequency following response or audio entrainment. Many of you may be familiar with binaural beats, all similar technologies, but this is next level stuff. And step number four is the eye mask, a light blocking eye mask that helps the patient or the end user to avoid visual stimulation and maintain their relaxed state. I've used the new calm for months and had incredible results. Patients have come to me experiencing panic disorders, anxiety attacks, and everything in between, and we're able to bring them back to a calm, relaxed, focused state almost instantly. It's pretty miraculous and impressive technology. So if you're interested, I highly recommend checking out the New Calm. You can go to newcalm.com. That's N-U-C-A-L-M.com to learn more.